this is a, a very positive spin on not what was not necessarily a very positive situation. So kudos for you to you. Showed, however, really small shift in that exit speed could could lead to a really big change in the number of home runs. Flavor Manfred, that's what we're going to call him. All Rob right. Manflava. <laughs> Rob Manflave. Okay. Until anyway. his album drops. And welcome to episode number 26 of Artificial Turf Wars. Battered and bruised, we refuse to go on the disabled list. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. How's it going, Josh? Not too bad. You? So we, we are, I'm good. We are recording this in an afternoon, which is unusual for us. So we only have five games, a three and two week for the Blue Jays to talk about. Um, but we do have some news. We have uh, Aaron Sanchez going away for a little bit. Jose Bautista and Kevin Pillar uh, coming back on their way back. Um, we have B- BJ Upton. No. Melvin Upton Jr. playing a little bit better. Edwin Encarnacion and a uh, lawsuit. We have an interview with Alan Nathan of the University of Illinois. We're going to talk about home runs in the major leagues and how there's a bunch more of them. And then we have your questions and a do-over for both Buck Martinez and Major League Baseball. Not related to one another, I don't think. Uh, I think that about sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you got it all in there. We got, we got, uh, we we may digress, as we are permitted to do. <laughs> yeah, because we're always so we we never go off on tangents ever. <laughs> no, no, we're tight, tight to the topic. Uh, so three and two, not a bad week. Um, it, it probably, given the series in Cleveland where they lost two or three, and looked like they could have won all three games, that was a bit disappointing. It's not even look like they could have. I mean, they had the lead going into the eighth inning of each of the three games. Yeah, and lately the bullpen hasn't been bad. Except no, I. I mean, it's like Oshuna had his first bad game in ages, and then Cecil was not very good. But everybody else was great. Unfortunately, you, uh, when you're the home team, you only have to lead for the final at bat. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's all it takes. Um. So there was that weird play where Michael Saunders, with the score tied in the ninth and Osuna pitching, uh, Saunders allowed a ball to get past him. I guess he was basically trying to make... There, there was a double no matter what, right? We, we, we concede the double, unless you make a miracle catch. Well, I mean, he probably should have caught it. It wasn't that difficult, but go ahead. So Saunders makes the, the big leap and misses it. And ends up turning that into a likely triple. And BJ, I keep calling him BJ when he screws up. Melvin Upton is nowhere to be found. He's he's not even on the TV screen at the point where the ball is caroming off into right center field. Uh, and then when he finally gets the ball, he falls down. <laughs> and doesn't make the throw sitting on his behind. And it's an inside the park home run. Because obviously if you don't make the throw, there's no error. Uh is is that the real reason why why Kevin Pilar is an asset in the outfield? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the real reason. Although, actually, you know what? I, it kind of could be because Upton probably catches that ball instead of it bouncing off the fence. If he's the right fielder? Yeah. And then yeah. Pilar, if it does miss, does not you know have a little circus of horrors that, that Upton <laughs> had on that play. Um. 
that's a heck of a way to lose. Like, and if the, if those happen more often, I think I'd be really down on this team. But that actually stands out as a as one of the the lowlights because they don't you know completely lose their their focus that often on this team. They seem to play pretty good fundamental baseball. Yeah, no, I mean it was it was just a very fluky play. I mean, it, it, I wouldn't count it as indicative of anything going forward. No, but uh, just in this series though, it was interesting. They kind of got. The, you know, everything, oh, I mean, well, Feldman didn't pitch, but it was kind of the trade deadline special for the Jays, well, and Martin, because he was on fire, but uh, Liriano was awesome, through right. six innings, gave up one unearned run, only walked two, struck out seven, Benoit and Grilly both threw two shutout innings, and upped and homered twice in the series. It was fantastic, if you... You know, look at all that that they they acquired real assets at the deadline. And again, I've, I've said it before: the fact that Upton can play center field, notwithstanding that one play, has been a huge boon to the Jays since Pilar went on the disabled list. Um, yeah, we mentioned that right when it first happened, when the first trade happened. It's like, well, you know, now they actually have someone who can back up. And then a few days later, Pilar goes down. And it's like, well, <laughs> I guess that was proven right. Um, which is pretty cool. It was interesting to see that the defensive substitution last night, they took out Michael Saunders and they left BJ Upton in left field and put Carrera in right. Melvin. Uh, he's just BJ to me. They took Melvin. They didn't put him in right. So does that mean that Melvin has even more of a noodle arm than Ezekiel Carrera does? No, he just (laughs) played a lot more left field though with San Diego. So they probably, Uh, he's probably just more used to it. Yeah, Carrera hasn't played a whole lot of right, but yeah, I guess he's played some right. They kind of, kind of move him around more. Um, yeah. It's sad when Michael Saunders has to come out in the ninth of a seven-two game <laughs> for defensive <laughs> reasons. Well, it's just funny because he was a really good defender with the when he was the Mariners, but he just, well, it's not even just his legs or his knees. Like he just takes really strange routes to the ball sometimes. Like I said, he should have caught that inside the park home run. He was there. He just missed the ball. Uh, maybe his his mentor is Jose Bautista. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen more horrible roots from Jose Bautista in the last year than I did, I think, in the first like three years he was, uh, or four years he was here. There, there've just been. I, I don't know if he thinks he runs faster and he's trying to cut the ball off at at a speed that he doesn't have anymore or what. But there's a lot of Jose sticking his glove out uh, because he's he's cut it too short or because he's taken two steps in the wrong direction or, or something. Uh, but Jose Bautista, we can, I guess we'll get to him later. What else happened in our three and two week? They, they made a mess of the angels last night. I was at the game. I don't go to very many games. It's always nice to see a victory. As I always say, uh, looked a little touch and go when, when boost hit the home run off of Ari Dickey, a guy who I literally had never heard of. <laughs> who had well, played nine games in the major leagues or something? Like yeah, I mean that. it's it, it's bus, not booze. So, yeah, it's gonna start. But I'm going by the pronunciation in stadium, so you can blame um... Tim Langton. Oh, maybe, yeah. maybe the, well, actually, maybe, yeah, I would trust him more than Buck. But oh, but Shulman was calling him bus. But um, uh, yeah, I mean it was a, a nice two-run homer. It's like oh no, and then <laughs> Dickie completely shut them down. Yeah. And I thought, well, usually after the first home run with Dickey, I, I, you get a little nervous about the floaty luck, knuckleball, that maybe it's staying up tonight or maybe it doesn't have that, you know, that last little bit of movement on it. Apparently, he just got lucky. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. And everybody in the lineup had at least a hit or an RBI or a run or an RBI. So it was, you know, a full offensive performance with Martin, of course, leading the way, going three for three with two walks. Uh, and Barney reaching base three times as the leadoff hitter. Yeah. Replace- Martin is up to up, up to a 345 on base percentage, which, considering where he was earlier in the season, is amazing. It is. It's it's earth. It's mind numbing how hot he's been over the past two to three weeks, with and not just getting on base, but hitting with considerable power. Uh, what was it? Six, five home runs in five games, or prior to yesterday? Yeah, yeah. And yesterday, although he didn't hit a home run, was like you said, certainly a great game. Nothing to be ashamed of there. Uh, which is, I suppose, why uh, hot hand John Gibbons was. DHing him last night with Josh Tolle in the nine spot catching Dickey. I, mean, I don't know about that. I mean, Martin in his it's not really hot hand with Martin. He's always hit lefties really well, and it's not. And what are you going to do? Play Justin Smoke? <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> well, you're going to pay Justin Smoke. You might as well <laughs> not play him. Well, I mean, he but even Justin Smoke has never hit lefties anyway. Yeah, even though he's a switch hitter. Yeah, think about that. So. Uh, I guess the Justin Smoke problem is a whole other problem. Because now that Jose Bautista is returning from the disabled list, should we move to Jose Bautista? Sure. He is we'll coming back, back on Thursday. Yes, so, which is the day this is being released. Uh, so he's coming back today, folks. Unless you're listening to this late. In which case, he came back yesterday. Uh, <laughs> so... But they're saying they're going to keep him out of the outfield to go easy on his knee and possibly DH him more. Well, we know what that means. That means Edwin Encarnacion certainly isn't going to sit down. He's going to get pushed into the field on, at first, which means Justin Smoke is on the bench. Yeah, which is where he belongs right now, though. I mean, it's not like he's – you know, last year this happened to him when he was playing well. And earlier in the season, I think, as well. When No, it was last year when, he heard, when Batista hurt his shoulder and he had to DH for a month. Smoke just had to sit because they weren't going to sit Edwin, but Smoke was playing fine. This time, it wouldn't matter if Bautista was back. Smoke shouldn't be playing. <laughs> oh, that's a sad state of affairs right there. But it's uh, actually Bautista's – we have a question about this which we, so we can get to a little more depth on it. But Bautista's injury is a blessing. I mean, it's a massive defensive upgrade. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. As we were talking about Bautista's roots and his range and – his suspicious lack of arm since that shoulder in- injury. He's he's really one of those guys who you're playing in the outfield because it's more of an ego thing, I think, for him to not be an outfielder anymore. Yeah, it's a legacy thing. Yeah. It's it's the Jose Reyes is the shortstop thing. Yep. So, yeah. No, or I'm, Derek Jeter is a shortstop thing. <laughs> <laughs> How could you have a, like, what, 19-year legacy as a, as a shortstop? Um yeah, that's not rag on Jeter for too long. It's a Blue Jays podcast, right? Yeah, we're not the we're not coming. We're not Buck and Tabby here. So we keep uh, we keep the outfield in better shape. We keep Jose's bat in the lineup, which hopefully he'll he'll pick it up just a little bit and get his OPS back over eight hundred. I think it is. He's sitting right around like seven ninety three. I think I saw in the article today. Uh, yeah, and he'll be the leadoff batter again, won't he? Is that- well, this is the interesting thing. I mean, that so I don't know how they're going to do this lineup because Travis has been hitting very well at the top, yeah. and you have Donaldson. You have the whole everyone's back, right? Mm. And you have up. You don't want to hit 
Upton and Saunders necessarily back to back. I mean, who knows how it's going to work out? It, it could be. I mean, could we see Devin Travis back in the nine hole? It's it's really tough. Or Pilar in the nine spot. Saunders hitting seventh. Well, Saunders hit eighth last night. That's. Uh, but that was much... against a lefty, though. Yeah, it was just. It was... He's now hit in every spot in the lineup this year. Maybe there was a bingo card to fill out as well. Uh, <laughs> but it's actually, it'll be very interesting to see how Gibbons puts together his lineup on Thursday. Well, Thursday might be an exception. He might give guys day off. But the first day where everyone's in there against a ready, I'm very curious to see what he does. Now, he does have some sort of Devin Travis issue to deal with a knuckle. I did not get the details because, again, I attended the game last night and somehow that didn't come up on Twitter. He, he hurt his knuckle? He hurt his hand. Yeah, yeah. There's a yeah in the tendon and his knuckle, but he got a cortisone shot and he's supposed to be back in there today on or on Wednesday. Oh, okay. So hopefully minor, not like his horrible shoulder injury that kept reoccurring. Uh, um, so we did not talk specifically about the return of Kevin Pillar or the temporary departure of Aaron Sanchez yet. No. So Kevin Pillar is big boost to the outfield defensively. And um, still swings at everything. But he got a double in his first game back. So, hey, swing at everything, Kevin. <laughs> so, well, I mean, the thing with Kevin Pillar, he swings at everything, but he at least makes contact, which has been a problem. Mm-hmm. So, I think I actually think that that could help the Jays if he's coming up with runners on third and one out. You know, he'll still hit his stupid lazy infield pop-ups in foul territory every now and then, but he might hit some balls to the outfield that will score runs instead of striking out. This is a, a very positive spin on not what was not necessarily a very positive situation. So, kudos for you to you. But, uh, by the way, it, it, his second bat was the most Pilar at bat ever. He swung at a pitch that I swear was over his head. Yeah. And then the next pitch, he hit a double down the line. <laughs> because why would you throw Kevin Pilar a fastball? We don't know. No, no. Just, you can throw it. Just throw it three feet over the strike zone like they did in the pitch before. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, the most Pilar at bat, though, would be him taking a strike right down the middle and then hitting the double. He needs yeah. to take a nice-looking strike first, and then he's really into the at-bat. No, because that's when he swings at the pitch out of the zone afterwards. But anyway, we, <laughs> we digress. <laughs> he's back. Um, Aaron Sanchez. Oh, no, he's gone to the minors. They demoted him after a bad start, which is totally not what is apparently happening. No, um, not th- even a little yeah, bit. No. So they plan to demote him because of the number of off days and skip a start for him. So they punched him all the way down to, to A-ball in Florida. That's because it's a lot nicer to be in Dunedin than to be in Buffalo. No offense, Buffalo. I think no offense, Buffalo. But uh, in Buffalo. <laughs> no, it's just he's not actually going to be pitching any game. So just keep him down in the warmth in the rehab center. So where all the you know the development and coordinators are, the ones that haven't all just be recently been fired. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's just a procedural thing, right? You know, they were going to skip him anyway, and then this gives them 10 days to have an extra player on the roster. Uh, yeah, no, it's a smart move. Um, I think some people were ready to make something out of it that it wasn't, which is always funny. But uh, Yeah, I think about 24 hours, for the first 24 hours, or actually not even that long, it might have been five hours, people were sort of flipping out, and then they're like, oh, wait, and, you know, oh, yeah, this actually means nothing. Yeah, so when he comes back, we're assuming the six-man rotation continues uh, in its sort of herky-jerky way because of all the off days which you could you really don't even need yeah. a six-man rotation yeah i mean at least in the short term that's how it's going to play i think i mean you don't really there's no one anyone to take out of the rotation right now no everyone's been except for marco estrada having his 
uh, tough times. Everyone else has been pretty solid. Yeah. And it's, it's so. not necessarily to do with the rotation. We still suspect that Marco Estrada might not be 100%, don't we? Yeah, I mean, well, I think he said as much. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it happens. But I, I expect it'll be just a straight six men. Uh, we actually saw shades of Melvin Upton Jr. playing baseball the way that they thought he might. He hit a couple home runs in Cleveland. He yeah, he hit homers in three three games out of four. Which is not actually that's even better than you expect out of Upton. But yeah, that was some life compared to the constant strikeouts. Is he maybe he's just finally settling in, relaxing a little bit, maybe? Well, he's still striking out a ton because <laughs> you know, that's what he does. But yeah, it could be. Uh, he's not as bad as he was playing. I mean, that's just the way it was. Like he was going through a bad stretch, but he's a much better player than that. He was terrible. He was like Atlanta Upton terrible when he showed up here. Yeah, and and no one ever even explained why he was so terrible in Atlanta. To be honest, as soon as he got to healthy and in San Diego, he started to play like Upton for his whole career, except for Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, we mentioned that when the when the trade happened, and yeah, he's gotten hits in. I think it's like. Seven, eight of the last ten games, and no, that's not bad. So you're not too worried about playing him as as your third outfielder now on a regular basis if Jose Bautista is not healthy enough to play the outfield. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, and if it's like a tough righty, you start Ezekiel Carrera and let Upton sit on the bench. But yeah, I'm I'm perfectly fine with him. All right, now to the bad news before we go and move on, is uh, Edwin Encarnacion has been slapped with a big old lawsuit alleging yeah. battery of a sexual nature from, from transmitting, from knowingly transmitting a sexually transmitted disease or two is what it comes down to. And if you want to read the gory details of the entire lawsuit, I guess you can start at TMZ and kind of work your way from there. Uh, the star actually had a much better breakdown. TMZ was the one who first broke the story. But the star had a they actually got a hand uh, a copy of the filing and you can see all the actual details of it. If you like you said, if you really want to. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's the, the the allegations are definitely unsettling if you know, I mean, there's still a lot of the process to come out of this, but, you know, it, it doesn't look good on him. That's for sure. No, no. Anytime someone accuses someone. Of, of misconduct and or you know criminal activity i i feel bad for i feel bad for everybody involved in the process at this point because i don't know whose allegations are true and how far they will go and everything else um yeah i'm not a legal expert so i'm not even going to guess where this is going to go but i'm sure we will hear about it again it's not just going to disappear because that's the thing with lawsuits they kind of hang around i would expect that encarnacion is going to say nothing because he doesn't have to uh and it'll be postseason that that they'll actually get to the point of trying to resolve it in some way. Yeah, his agent called the lawsuit frivolous, well, as you expected. But yeah, we won't really know anything for a while. Just reading through the actual filing, though, it was not pleasant. No, no, and and, and again, I I don't think I'm, I'm not saying that the claim is legit. I'm not saying that the claim is is frivolous because I don't know these things, and I, I don't want to. Uh, you know, cast dispersions in either direction. But there were a lot of details in there that did not make Encarnacion seem like a great guy. But that's what you would expect out of a lawsuit trying to get <laughs> trying to get some uh, compensation from him for not being a great guy. So, uh, yeah, 
let's see where the legal process goes from here. It's a long-term thing. We'll probably mention it again several podcasts from now. That's the depressing yep. news. Uh, yeah. To totally change gears, we are going to talk about dingers with the, uh, Professor Alan Nathan. Um, he is the physics of baseball guy at the University of Illinois, and there have been a lot more home runs hit in the last year of baseball than there have in the previous bunch of years and people are trying to figure out what that's all about so we're going to go and dig deep into some of the the numbers about why that might suddenly have happened and we'll be right back with dr nathan after this physics at the university of illinois alan uh we had you on when this was under a different name so i guess welcome back is in order well thanks good to be here uh we're happy to have you so we're going to start talking about everybody's favorite play in baseball the home run um and the additional number of home runs that seem to have been hit in in the last little while in baseball so just sort of to get an idea how many more home runs started getting hit in the last half of 2015 and into 2016 as as previous that people noticed this was a trend okay well um i first got involved looking at this when the guys at 538.com ben Lindbergh and rob arthur were uh they had noticed that there was an increase in home runs they contacted me and we tried to figure out why um i i don't read quite frankly i don't remember the numbers now comparing the last half of 2015 with the uh, you know post-all-star game with pre-all-star game what i've looked into myself more recently is comparing pre-all-star game 2015 with pre-all-star game 2016 and comparing those there is a 24 percent increase in home runs i think it was a bit less comparing pre and post all-star game uh, from 2015, maybe it was more like 16 to 20%. But it's a 24% increase if you compare a comparable period, uh, April to mid-July 2015 versus 2016, a 24% increase, which is really quite astonishing. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a ton. So I, I guess immediately you, you said they started to look into it. How do you narrow down the factors uh, that seem to contribute to an increase in home runs. Like there, there's a lot of things going on, but obviously no one's going to walk up and go, "Well, this is this is what I did differently as a as a player." So where did you start? Well, the thing that I immediately started to look at is uh, so you could ask what factors contribute to a home run. Well, you could look at uh, speed of look at the characteristics of a batted ball is one thing you can do. Um, and you could look at the so-called exit speed of the ball, the vertical launch angle, and there's sort of a sweet spot there for home runs. If you hit the ball hard, you know, over, certainly over 100 miles an hour, and you hit it at, you know, sort of the right launch angle, the optimum is somewhere 25 to 30 degrees or so, uh, that, that will optimize your chances to hit a home run. So we are blessed, if you will, <laughs> with having lots of data about that nowadays with StatCast, which is the system that uh, MLB uses to track 
batted balls, among other things. So we have lots of information about just those numbers, the speed of the ball coming off the bat, the launch angle at which the ball comes off the bat. So the first thing really that I decided to do was take a look at just those things. Uh, is there evidence that the typical speed of the ball coming off the bat is actually higher this year than it was at a comparable period pre-All-Star game last year. So that's the first thing that I did. And it's, it's, it's something that other people have thought about also. So uh, that was where my focus was. Now, it's interesting when you were looking at, you know, this, this launch angles and the speed, there were huge jumps in the number of batted balls that were coming in at 97 miles an hour. I, I'm just looking at this chart here that you had between 20 and 35 degrees, 97 miles per hour or higher. It was a 28 percent jump from one year to the next. I mean, how, how would something like that be explained? I mean, that's a huge, huge number. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, the so what is it means that basically batted balls are being hit harder. And if you look in detail, which is what I did in that article, if you look in detail at the, the distribution of batted ball speeds, of exit speeds, for balls that are hit. So uh, one of the, I think the thing that I showed in the article was I looked at balls hit with a launch angle between 20 and 35 degrees. And that encompasses really most home runs. Very few are hit less than 20 degrees, that would be sort of a line drive, and very few are hit at angles greater than 35 degrees. So I said, let's look at exit speeds, all exit speeds uh, for balls hit in the 20 to 35 degree angular range. And when you do that, you, uh, you compare 2015 with 2016, you immediately see that on the average exit speeds are higher in 2016. And uh, a small change, so this is roughly a one and a half mile per hour shift in the average exit speed. Uh, and that doesn't sound like it's very much, but uh, one, of, and one of the things I tried to do in this article was showed how a very, really small shift in that exit speed could, could lead to a really big change in the number of home runs. And it's because uh, the, the exit speeds sort of peak around if you look at the distribution of exit speeds, they peak around 95 miles an hour, somewhere around that. And so they're starting to fall off very rapidly once you get above that speed. On the other hand, the probability that that will lead to a home run is actually increasing very rapidly in just that region. So the combination of those things means a small little shift in the exit speeds uh, could result in really a significant increase in the number of home runs. And that's what I found. And so uh, it looks like for balls hit in that angular range, there's something like a one and a half mile per hour shift in exit speeds. And of course, then the question comes up, why is that? <laughs> and that's a question that uh, about other people and I uh, have tried to focus in on. Uh, maybe players are swinging the ball, the bat a little faster this year. Maybe there's an influx of talent this year that wasn't there last year that are better able to uh, square up with the ball and hit it a little bit, just that little bit harder, which, which is what is needed to, to get those home runs. 
Uh, or, and here's the intriguing one, maybe it's the ball. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people believe is the reason for the increase. I myself, I am skeptical of that claim uh, for reasons which, which we can go into. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, that's what a lot of people are focused in on, on just that thing. Maybe the ball is a little bit more lively this year than it was last year. And that increase in liveliness, uh, for all other things being the same, that increased liveliness, uh, technically is called the coefficient of restitution of the ball, will uh, give you a higher exit speed. And it wouldn't take a huge amount of change in the ball to give such an increase, uh, you know, something a one and a half mile per hour increase in exit speeds. Now, but you, you actually, in your article, you mentioned that the 538 piece had had some balls tested by the sports sciences lab in Washington State, and they found that there actually was not any significant uh, increase in the coefficient of restitution, correct? Uh, that's correct. But let me just point out, those kinds of measures, it's very easy to do the measurements, okay? The measurements can be done, especially the people at the sports science lab in, at Wash State. I know these people very well. I've worked with them. I've written papers with them and everything. So I know these guys very well. They're very, very careful people. Um, and I, I believe their numbers, okay? So when they test the balls and show there's no significant difference, it's very believable. The problem is one of sample size. And that is always the problem that you have when trying to come to some judgment as to whether the ball has changed or not. Uh, there are many, many baseballs used in the course of just a single game. Uh, and we're sort of trying to look at average quantities. Now, I believe that they tested maybe a dozen balls hmm. from each of, I think what they did was they tested baseballs from the early part of the season versus balls that they acquired that were used in the postseason last year. I don't remember the uh, exact details of it. But there was no more than a dozen of each baseballs that were tested. And I, I would argue that that's probably not enough to be able to tell if there's some significant shifts. Uh, you really need a bigger sample than that. And, of course, that's a problem if you're trying to come up with some independent judgment, that is to say, independent of Major League Baseball. They have their own testing procedure. Um, if you're trying to come up with some independent judgment about that, the, the problem is trying to find a, a large enough unbiased sample of baseballs that you can actually test. And that's, that's always a problem with this sort of thing. Now, having said that, Major League Baseball does its own testing, as I, as I mentioned. Their testing is done at a different laboratory, the, uh, uh, the uh, Baseball Research Center at University of Massachusetts at Lowell. So, you know, the, this kind of baseball research community is not a very big community. So it probably wouldn't surprise you that, that I know these people very well also when I've worked with these people. Um, but, and I know that they're also good people, but uh, uh, they, they try as I might, I can't find any information. They just simply won't tell me anything about uh, either the procedures that are used to test the baseballs or the results of those testing. But I know that they test baseballs and they tell me that everything looks fine. But other than that, that's all I know and that's all 
that anybody outside of a small inner circle at MLB uh, really knows about it. Be nice if we knew more. Uh, I think it would uh, certainly make people feel better about things. You know, the interesting thing about about the baseballs is that if you look at the actual specifications in the rule book about the baseballs, uh, the the range of this number called the coefficient of restitution, you know, it's a number that's roughly 0.5. The number itself doesn't mean anything except, you know, it's a number about 0.5. But there is a, if you look at the specs the, that are in the rule book, there's a huge range of allowed values. That, if between the top of that range and the bottom of that range, that corresponds to uh, maybe five or six miles an hour in exit speed, which is huge. It's Whoa. like 30, 35 feet on a fly ball. So, you know, MLB could claim, yes, we are within specs on every ball that we test, but that would be a totally meaningless, in some sense, meaningless and useless statement because within that spec, there's a, just a huge, huge range. Um, now, when I did my own testing of baseballs way back uh, a dozen years, literally a dozen years ago, I did this very cute little experiment, uh, which has an interesting story in and of itself. I was contacted by Nancy Finley, who is the niece of Charlie Finley, the ex-owner of the Oakland A's. And her father, which who was Charlie Finley's brother, had passed away a year or so earlier. She was cleaning out his things, and she found a bunch of unopened boxes of baseballs from the late 1970s, totally unused, untouched by human hands. And wouldn't it be nice to be able to test these? So I got together with my buddies at the Sports Science Lab at Wash State, and we tested uh, roughly a dozen baseballs from the late 70s, compared with a dozen baseballs that we purchased in 2004, which is when we did this, directly from Rawlings. And on average, we found no difference uh, between the two sets of baseballs. But what we did find that was, I thought, very interesting was that the spread of values for the 1970s balls was much, much higher all within the spec, but much, much higher than the spread of the 2004 baseballs. So despite the fact that the spec is very broad, uh, the technology apparently exists by the people who make the baseballs, Rawlings, that they could actually drill down on that and, and, and have a, a really, really tight spread of values. So that they, they, they can do that. Okay, They're able to do that what they actually do and how it's actually tested the procedures the results all that is is still a big mystery none of us none of us mere mortals know so you did have the other side of the evidence though in, in the results that you got you said that there was a significant increase in velocity regarding home runs in what you call that sweet spot but looking at at the article you said there was not the same kind of increase uh, in balls hit, uh, like, say, on a line drive, like a 10 to 15 degree exit angle, didn't have as significant an increase. If the ball was juiced, you, you're, you're, you would speculate that all of the exit velocities would increase, and that doesn't seem to be what's happened. So that, does that muddy the waters on the analysis? Well, it certainly, it certainly does for me. Uh, and again, this is some, somewhat controversial, I suppose, because other people are t trying to sort of talk their way out of this seeming discrepancy between what you see at, you know, 
launch angles that would lead to home runs versus what you see for line drives. But if you, for sure, it's the case. If you look at line drives, in, in some sense, I would expect line drives, which are much more squared up, the, the highest exit speeds are line drives, not, not home run balls. Uh, I would expect that to be more sensitive to the bounciness or coefficient of restitution of the ball than the typical home run balls are. And there's virtually no increase comparing uh, 2015 with 2016. So what does that mean? So that's where I am right now. I'm, I'm puzzling over that. And I, I don't understand. I, I don't know how to put those two pieces of information together. An increase uh, at home run type angles, no increase at line drive type angles. Uh, now, other people have tried to sort of talk their way out of it by saying, well, maybe the swing plane is increased, uh, you know, which would, if, if a, if a per, so if, if the players know that the ball is juiced somehow, it's, it's this coefficient of restitution is increased, they're going to be trying for more home runs, so they're going to be swinging at a steeper plane, and that might explain that difference. Uh, or maybe the stat cast data somehow are flawed you know, in 2015, but not in 2016, or uh, people have noted that not every batted ball has a recorded exit speed and launch angle. Some of the balls, for whatever reason, are not tracked, and maybe that introduces a bias. There are various ways people have tried to talk their way around this, but I'm skeptical. I'm I mean, look, I'm a scientist. I'm naturally skeptical of, of things. I, 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 what I always say, show me the data. If, 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 a, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit, in, the, in other words. It, you know, you, you've got to have a consistent picture. And um, I cannot say at the present time that I have a consistent picture that, where I can say that I understand all the data. So it's really still a work in progress. So there seems to be evidence that the ball is juiced. But then there is countermanding evidence that the ball isn't. And so uh, it, it's a bit of a dilemma. And I wish I could say I had a solution to it, but I don't. Uh, one other thing I've noticed when you're discussing this on, on Twitter, you have an acronym uh, BACON, uh, which is a great acronym for me because I love BACON. Yeah. But I, I am curious, to what does that <laughs> refer as your, your uh, okay. with your colleagues? So th there, there, is, there is a quantity called BABIP. Maybe you've heard of that batting average for balls in play. Yes, sir. Hmm? Is that you're fam you're familiar with that? Yeah. Uh, but Babbitt, but, uh, uh, home runs are not included for balls in play because they're not in play. They're can feel them. So so home runs are excluded. Bacon is batting average on contact. So it in effect corrects that. It's batting average for all balls that are uh, that Between are hit, the foul lines, including home runs. It does, it does seem like an odd – well, I guess because BABIP is initially designed to, I guess, account for ball-in-play luck. And obviously a home run, there is no ball-in-play right. luck in theory, right? Right. I like BABIP. And so this is uh, – uh, 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 yeah, so BABIP, you know, typically uh, league average, uh, batting average for balls in play, so again, excluding home runs, is typically about 300 of and if someone is consistently performing either well above that or well below that, people sort of think that's not sustainable. And if, if you play enough games, 
get enough balls in play, it's gonna it's gonna regress more or less to the average. Now that's not entirely true, but it's mostly true. It's it's a it's a way to measure. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a way to sort of take into advantage the luck factor, which is a significant factor in baseball, whether it's good luck or bad luck. And but now that's obviously you take that on sort of on a mass level. You have to right. But so would bacon right. theoretically work better as an individual comparing them to themselves? Because then you could include the home runs. And in if you see someone's having a great season, overall numbers. Yeah. Oh well, instead of looking at his Babbitt compared to the league average, look at his bacon compared to himself. In the past, uh, <laughs> well, of course, Bacon has, as part of it, has the Babbitt part of it. Okay, the balls yeah. that are really in play, and there's a lot of noise in that. There's not a lot of noise in home runs. Home yeah. runs, uh, people, you know, people who have done these statistical analyses conclude that home runs is a very reproducible skill, uh, whereas getting on base is not necessarily a reproducible skill. As I said, there's a lot of noise. And and when there's a lot of noise, it takes a lot of a lot of balls in play before the noise sort of averages out and you have a stable result. But sorry, bacon would be a more reproducible. It would stabilize at, with with fewer balls in play than Babbitt. In that sense, it would be a, a better statistic for uh, for measuring performance. I just want to see how many times I could get us to say the word bacon in a five-minute span. I think I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Greg's starting to get hungry. Uh, indeed. So what yes. it comes down to is, is we definitely have a lot more home runs. Um, we have a whole lot of data, and yet it still, at the moment, you, you believe it, it's pointing in two different directions as to what the source is. But it, it certainly seems that um, something has changed in order to get all these, these balls flying out of the ballpark. Well, for sure, something has changed. And, and the other thing that we, which we didn't mention is I, you, you can go through a, another type of analysis and convince yourself, at least I've been able to convince myself, that it's not due to atmospheric effects. I mean, you could imagine, for example, that the ball is carrying better. Uh, you, you hit the ball at a certain speed, certain angle, and it, you know the, the amount of carry that it has depends on atmospheric conditions, particularly the wind. I mean, Temperature matters to some extent, but the wind could really matter a lot. And I, I've been able to convince myself that you can't account for that kind of increase with that. And and there's certainly no getting around the fact that you have an increase in exit speeds. So that for sure does contribute. And you can more or less account for that increase, for for a good chunk of that increase, just uh, uh, from the change in exit speeds. That that was sort of the analysis that I did for the Hardball Times article. All right, so we, we await a real answer for the mystery of the increased exit speed. So I'll yeah, science doesn't always tuned. science doesn't always uh, have the answers. Uh, we probably raise more questions than we answer, but it's it's good to raise questions. Good, it, it gets people talking. Exactly. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for uh, going over all that with us. If people want uh, to see your your conversations about this, your Twitter account uh, is a good spot at uh, pob guy. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. Thank you, Dr. Nathan. Uh, we hope okay. to talk to you again sometime in the near future, maybe with, with more information about home runs and, and all the good fun that comes with them. I look forward to doing it. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Bye-bye. And we're back. Uh, I really appreciate Dr. Nathan joining us because he has... A lot, uh, 
a lot invested in the physics of baseball. That's cool stuff. Yeah, I want to quit my job and become a baseball physicist. I think Except, he kind of retired know. from his job to become a baseball physicist. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's almost the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I, he, I asked him what Professor Emeritus was, and he's like, that means I'm retired. That was the first time I talked to him. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so you get to keep And I, I might, might not have the qualifications to do that job. <laughs> hey, man, you've been talking about baseball for a long time. I think you're good to go. Um, Sweet. All right, we got questions and possibly answers. So uh, our first question from Gideon. Do I really have to? Okay, I will, I will indulge Gideon. If you could slot Harambe into any position in the Blue Jays lineup right now, which would it be and why? Hmm. And How about this, Gideon? Find me some good players. Living players. <laughs> Mr. Burns said it best. <laughs> yeah, we, we only slot living players. That's how it is, Gideon. Stupid <sighs> me. Okay, enough Harambe. First real question. <laughs> yeah, um, from Go Sends Go. Hi, Mike. Nice to see you again. Uh, for how long does... Batista really stay out of the outfield regularly. If it's Batista, it's forever because he's retired. <laughs> and he's a pitcher. Um, <laughs> I thought Miguel Batista was spelled that way, wasn't he? Yeah, that was the pitcher. But who's the f- guy who hit like Tony? Homer- Tony Batista. That's why I was. Yeah, thinking. yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, the answer to this, unfortunately, is just going to be until he's healed. I think. Hmm. But yeah. obviously. You know, the reason this question is being asked is because it should be until the end of the season. As, as we highlighted in our earlier chit chat. So, yeah. yeah, I just, again, because of the ego and the, the principle of being an outfielder and a full-time player. And apparently he's still playing for a big contract, though, having played only 80 games this season, it doesn't look all that impressive. Um, yeah, he's going to want to get back out in the outfield to prove his worth, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Here's the next one. comes from Ak. At Rockbard, Gabriel Gutierrez, who would be the two starters left out in a playoff rotation? What's up with Gavin Floyd? So my two starters left out are, I would think, Ari Decky and Francisco Liriano. Yeah, I think so. I think Liriano goes to the pen as a lefty specialist. Yep, and Decky just, the, the unpredictability, if you can avoid it, you avoid it in the playoffs. And they couldn't avoid it last year, and they burned him one time. Uh, what's up with Gavin Floyd? He's, I, I haven't heard an update. He's still hurt, isn't he? Yep. Hasn't even started a rehab yet, and he's running out of rehab time. I mean, the minor league season ends at the end of the month. There's still extended spring, but I think if he's not healthy by the end of August, he's just not going to come back. Yeah, I would believe that. Absolutely. Um, from Simon, at Simon Cott, Cy.mo.chun, uh, why does the team talk about stretching out Biagini next season? but not Osuna. I think this mostly comes down to their various roles on the team. I mean, Osuna is the closer, and the, the rotation is full, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Biagini is a guy who pitches still sometimes two, three innings in an outing, so if you stretch him out to start, it's still helping his major league role. I think that's really the end, and he, that way he can just be your depth. Makes sense. They don't want to stretch Osuna out and then just have him go back to closing because that's what that is going to be his role, even though it does make sense given his stuff to make him a starter. Yeah. Well, is Liriano here for another year? Yep. Yeah. Well, that's even with Dickie leaving now, you have what looks like a very full rotation, barring injury, of course. It's always barring injury, isn't it? 
Yeah, but you still want to go into the season assuming you have your five guys, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Um, but yeah, you, that's it's easier to talk be a genie rule five pick and uh, who's already partially stretched out into stretching out further. Yeah, and then they've got you know Bolsinger, who they picked up from the Dodgers. Who I actually, when we first broke that, I mistakenly said the Angels, but um, you know they've got guys like that. But I just think that's it. Just to have another guy who's stretched out to go back into a multiple inning relief role. Uh, next question from at Spork V underscore Luke. Luke asks, hashtag Puig your Blue Jay. <laughs> Which you've informed me was a, was a play on his Puig your friend hashtag when Rosenthal made that erroneous report about him leaving the team and not going on the team flight. But uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. Right? I'd happily take him for sure. But I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, the, the again, the outfield is kind of full at the moment. Though, who knows what happens in the off season? I don't see it happening. Like, there's no point to it happening now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we are talking about playing Upton and Carrera on some regular with some regularity, so there's still some point. But <laughs> I don't see any chance that he would get to the Blue Jays on waivers anyway. Yeah, because they pick near last, being a division leader, right? And in the wrong league. So everything is reversed against them. So someone would would take a gamble on Yasiel Puig. I would have yeah. to think he's already in the minors anyway. Doesn't that mean he passed through waivers once? No, he had options. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm always confused by international free agents and how those things work. No, unless they have a thing in their contract that specifically says they cannot be sent to the minors, they can be sent to the minors. And he was signed at 21, so there was no way he was going to get a clause like that. Right. Now I know. Speaking of young, good players, our last question from hashtag Plumley. But it's not it's a hashtag. Written it's hashtag. Out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How good is Mike Trout? Uh, well, this could be a whole Pilar podcast, to be honest. Pilar so, better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Pilar run faster, possibly. Uh, Mike Trout is what in in warp? Is he third? Second, because catcher warps is weird. Okay, or he's first in wins above replacement. Um, he's he's really, three. really good. Yeah. He, <laughs> but he missed that ball yesterday, so plus better defensive center fielder. Which is clearly not where Mr. Trout's value comes from. Um, yeah, somehow Trout has climbed again to the top of the wins above replacement leaderboard um, in relative obscurity in, in California. Which There's is no good. relative obscurity when you're talking about Mike Trout. <laughs> well, he... I mean, everybody talks about Mookie Betts and Chris Bryant and everything else. Here's things to remember. He's younger than Chris Bryant. <laughs> yes. He's no, but I mean, they just talk like, about those guys because they're doing something new. I mean, uh, and Chris Bryant is having a season that's as good or better than Mike Trout. So, you know, it's like Mike Trout has won two MVP awards, has finished second twice. I don't think there's any obscurity going on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Mike Trout is awesome, and obviously we hope he continues to be awesome for the foreseeable future, but man, the Angels are wasting him. Yep. Just, that's the travesty right there. So if you if you didn't think Mike Trout was that great, you were wrong. Go, when you watch an Angels game, just watch Trout the whole time. You can ignore the rest, because the rest of it is kind of trash. Which brings us to a do-over. I think mm. it would be a perfect time, because... 
Buck Martinez described the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim as, quote, a dangerous team, unquote, last night. In what yeah. sense are they like? I suppose a German, uh, a uh, a Labrador is a dangerous dog if it sits on you by accident. But the Angels are not a dangerous team. They, they cannot hit. They have a garbage bullpen. They have a mysterious starting rotation with no stars left in it. They have Mike Trout. That's all they have is Mike Trout. They have the shell. Of Maybe Robert he meant Pujols. dangerous, as in like it's dangerous to be on the Angels because all their pitchers <laughs> keep getting hurt. <laughs> There is there's absolutely no reason the Jays should not be looking for a sweep against a team like the Angels. A team that scored like the 25th most runs in baseball or something. It just... I know you want to talk up the offense. You don't want to come on a broadcast and go, this is going to be a boring one. But this has all the earmarks of a boring series. Yes, there's no reason that the Angels can't beat you on any given night. But they are not dangerous. <laughs> no. Uh, Buck also said that Mike Trout appears to accelerate when sliding headfirst and that he's one of the few players who does that. He defies physics. That's pretty cool. There, that was the answer to the <laughs> Mike Trout how good is he question. How good is Mike Trout? He can accelerate <laughs> while slowing down. Um, that should have been the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll add a tagline at the end. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, Buck. Constant Buck. source of content for us. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we could pick one every week, but those are just remarkable. Uh, so we, we, we'll, we'll single you out and say, just stop saying things to try and hype up something that you don't need to hype. You don't need to have Mike Trout disobeying the laws of physics to tell me how great he is. You just go down the things that he's actually great at. So, yeah. Quote some actual statistics that back up anything that you've said like that. And then you can, we'll never speak of this again. You have a do-over for the Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred. Yeah, our old buddy. The other guy that keeps, the gift that keeps on giving. He uh, goes in a radio actually, silence every so often. I think, good, we've heard the last from Rob Manfred. And then no. Yeah. I, I just think he hates pitchers. That's my new thing. <laughs> so Frustrated softball league batter who hates pitchers. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, his new ideas now. So the pitch clock is he's still on that one. He wants to ban shifts. He wants to shrink the strike ban zone what? and limit pitching changes. I might have to bleep that, what he wants to ban. <laughs> <laughs> shifts with an F. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. So it's like everything there is bad for pitchers. Bad for pitcher health and bad for pitcher success. Stop screwing with the game. <laughs> If you want people to watch the game, I have an idea. And this was put forth, I don't know by who, on Twitter. I'm Market the players? Well, tell me what's good about it. Don't tell me yeah. what you need to fix every 10 minutes. Like, when people come to you and go, wow, so what's going on with baseball? Aren't you supposed to talk about all the wonderful things that have happened in the past three months? You know, if, if someone's thrown a no-hitter, if there's been... Chris Bryant's rookie season, if there's been Mookie Betts' incredible breakout, tell me about those things and invite me to come watch them. Don't tell me, well, it's just taking too long to play games. Also, the self-contradictory nature of we need to get more offense into the shorter games. Yeah, which never made any sense at all. <laughs> it's, if nobody's making outs, the games get longer. 
just how it works. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for, not the pitch clock. I'm waiting for Rob Manfred to ask for a clock. Just <laughs> straight up clock in baseball. That would solve all your problems. You could fit a lot of offense in, and then you could end the game when you needed to. He's just going to start walking around like a Flava Flav. Yeah, just a big clock on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> Games are too long. <laughs> Flavor. Flavor Manfred. That's what we're going to call him. All Rob right. Manflava. <laughs> Rob Manflav. Wait, wait okay, until anyway. his album drops. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a short album, though. Every song, like, two minutes long exactly. Like the pitch clock. Um, <laughs> what? What do you have for a final thought? Save me from my own stupidity here. Oh, but I enjoy your stupidity. Um, yeah, the, the, being in the AL East sucks. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be a really <laughs> – the Blue Jays are 71 and 54. That sounds good. And they're tied for first. Doesn't Cleveland have like 72 wins and is like six, six and a half games, games up? Games? Yeah. Yeah. Can we trade? Because Cleveland's not that far, right? You can just trade yeah. spots. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's just oh, – it's, it's going to be a tense final month and a half. So it's not the Orioles, though, that we are we are now uh, going back and forth with. They they appear to have actually one little tiny chink in their armor. So they're two games back. We are tied with the Boston Red Sox, who which I think is much more worrying. True, but everyone thought all along that the 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 Orioles were riding a lucky streak, more or less, or a more lucky streak, and that Boston had the true talent. And it appears that finally here, as we enter the final week of August, that may have come to pass. But with only two games, I could be totally wrong about that by the next podcast. Isn't that awesome? No, it's not awesome. It's not awesome at all. Um, well, there is something to be said for playing games under pressure before running uh, before the playoffs and running away with the division and then relaxing too much. All right. And on that note, we're going to bring it home, which is to say that you have been Joshua Housen. And I have been Greg Wisniewski. You can find you on Twitter at Joshua Housen and me at Coolhead2010. And our guest this week was Dr. Alan Nathan at Guy on Twitter. And this was episode number 26 of Artificial Turf Wars. And we will see you next week.